0: So as I mentioned before, we're on this one-month journey. I know through the summer there's a lot of travels that happen, so you may or may not have missed some of the studies we've been on, but what we've been doing is taking this last month and walking through church essentials. These are things that bind our hearts together as a church. These are things that, that we agree on, these essentials. These are things that not only bring us together, but if I could just point out these are things that hold us together. Things we talk of regularly. These essentials that we've been talking about, God's word, God's glory, God's plan of rescue, the gospel. These are things we hope that you hear about all the time. If you're visiting with us today, our prayer is that you hear of these things often, that we're here to talk of God's glory to dig deep into God's word. We are here to celebrate the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what we're here to do. But what is church membership? We can kind of narrow it down to those three words in the blue. Church membership is a means for accountability, organization, and advancement. Biblical church accountability, practical church organization, and Unified Church Advancement. So if, if you turn your handout over, we just wanted to include there, some of you, some don't have the handout, so he's looking at your hand there, buddy. Uh, if you look on the back there, it's just sort of a process that we pray through here as a church, and we think about church membership. At the top of that would be this. If God's laid it on your heart to partner with Cross Point Community Church and church membership, here is our desire, is that you diligently pray. In other words, this is not some light decision to connect with Crosspoint Community Church. In fact, if it's to the point where you're, you're struggling through some things and you really want to uh, make sure this is the right decision, it's okay to wait on this. It's okay to pray longer through this. Because it's our, our, our desire that when you connect to Crosspoint and accountability and organization and advancement, it sticks. That we do our job as a church to keep you accountable and you do your job to keep us accountable. It's dual accountability in the body of Christ. So a lot of prayer saturated in this concept of church membership. Membership. A couple other things as you just look through that. Um, attending a new members class, well, guess what? Class, we've done that the last month. <laughs> we've got one more week on this, so if you have any questions, feel free to bring those. Here we are talking about what brings us together, what holds us together. We've talked about God's word is our clear foundation. God's glory is to be our exclusive motivation. God's plan of rescue last week is our only hope. We're talking about in Christ alone, by faith alone, in grace alone. Those are things we just dug into and talked about last week. I don't know if your mind has been meditating on that this week, but I can't get it out of my mind. Hopefully till the day I die, it is all about in Christ alone, through grace alone, by faith alone. Well, today we're going to kind of talk more about this, the church, God's church. If you could advance one slide, that'd be great. God's church, God's community, and this community must function with biblical purpose, So what comes to mind when you think of the word purpose? We connected here a compass to this because it's so important when you talk of purpose, when you talk of meaning, that you not get so distracted by looking at our clocks that we fail sometimes to look at our compass. What's our meaning? Where are we headed? What were we created to do? This is philosophical. This is something that binds us together and holds us together. So kind of on a much lighter note, I know there's probably some in here that have enjoyed reading the book called A Dog's Purpose. Maybe uh, you've watched the movie A Dog's Purpose. I know that book may or may not have been read several times in our family. (laughs) But this is a book as, as... Fictional as it is, and actually it's not theologically right, right? I mean, we don't have reincarnation, but at any rate, this is a book consumed with this puppy, Bailey, 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 and this dog is to find his purpose with his, with his owner. In this movie, you find this clip, this statement of purpose from Bailey, Bailey, Bailey. He thinks his name is Bailey, Bailey, Bailey. It is this, if I, if I can get you licking and loving, I fulfilled my purpose, <laughs> That is the dog's purpose, is to make the owner happy. And that's like the premise of the story. My prayer is not that we get each other licking and laughing, but that we find a much deeper purpose in life. Sometimes we get enamored with just like this superficial kind of purpose of why we're here. I want us to dig a little deeper today. Why are we here? What is our meaning? What is our purpose um, as a college soccer player, and then as a college soccer coach, almost a decade later, I found myself with, with a regular need to change perspective. What do I mean? Uh, as a coach, these freshmen would come in. I'm telling you, these freshmen loved the idea of athletics, but they were not as thrilled with the concept of being a student athlete. <laughs> these guys spend most of their time where? In the gym? In the weight room, out on the soccer field, or in the rec hall or dining hall. But sometimes we had to have a little bit of a timeout. Some of these freshmen who, after about three weeks, I'm watching their grades and realizing they are just missing the mark. I've got to bring them into my office. I, I bring them in, sit them down, and here's what I'd, I'd have to talk to them about I say, hey, why are you here? <laughs> why are you here? What is the meaning of you being here? Is it just so you can run around out on that soccer field and score goals? Some of the front Yeah, yeah, that's why I'm here. Okay. Okay, now it's time to completely redirect your purpose. Really talk about some essential things here. Because first and foremost, you are a student athlete. Let's redirect that purpose back to realizing that as uncharming as it might be sometimes, you're here to go to lectures. You're here to read books. You're here to do papers. There is some beauty in the education that you're receiving here, not just the recreation out on that soccer field. Well, why do I bring that up? Well, here's why because of the temptation of my heart. Sometimes it's easy for me to come to a congregation, a church, to come to church settings, and it's so easy to get drawn into the lights, camera, action music, loudness, to get drawn into all of the the surface level stuff, to be enamored with the charm of a body of Christ, to be enamored with, okay, I'm giving it up right now, the food of the body of Christ. (laughs) Especially when we meet with the me in church, right? Or last Sunday night, what happened? The sugar abounded last Sunday night. I went home with like three stages of sugar coma, I think. Well, those things kind of bring you in. Well, the fact of the matter, and all of those really cool things that we do, all those exciting things, sometimes we need to pause and say, okay, why are we really here? What is the essential elements of what we're doing? What is our purpose for being here? What is the purpose of God's community? God's community must function with biblical purpose. So you ready to talk about that a little bit? Okay, before we even talk about the purpose part about it, what about the Christ community, God's community? What is that? (laughs) It's God's church. God's community is God's church. This is what we're talking about. It is God's people. God's church, not a place, not brick and mortar. It is people. God's church is God's new covenant people. God's church is, in fact, God's church. It is not the elders' church. It is not the preaching pastor's church. It is not the deacon's church. It is not even the congregation's church. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is whose church? God's church. This is His body. This is the body of Christ. And as such... We need to realize how important it is. So I put up there God's new covenant people. We can talk for days and days about that discussion of those four, four words God's new covenant people. I'm going to summarize it today and just focus on the last word there. It's God's people. It's not all about a place, it's not all about brick and mortar. The church of God is about you, it is about people, it's about relationships. It's about God changing the life of people. Why do we say God's new covenant people? This is beautiful. Again, we'll summarize this, but as you go through the Old Testament, the scripture, you find God's old covenant people. God directing them certain ways through the old covenant law. But there's a promise. There's a promise in Ezekiel 36 and Jeremiah 31 that there's a new covenant coming. And this new covenant, this is inseparable from the person and work of God. Jesus Christ, this new covenant that's coming is going to be surrounded by forgiveness of sins and a permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus comes on the scene, guess what he's reminding? Luke 22, there's a new covenant here. guess what? My blood, as we next week we celebrate the new covenant, communion, guess what brought that into play? The cross of Jesus Christ the resurrection. So why do we focus on the new covenant? I I understand Ezekiel 36, Jeremiah 31 promised to Israel that it may not be here in all of its fullness, but I want to tell you the new covenant is happening because Jesus died for our sins and rescued us. The dwelling, the indwelling Holy Spirit is active in our lives. He will never let us go. These are the primary elements of the new covenant. If you can advance to that next slide, I want us to see what we're talking about, God's new covenant people. Peter, he personally experienced the upper room when Jesus gave the first communion there, the last supper, however you want to say it. Jesus instituted the new covenant in the upper room. What does Peter say, who, having seen that? He says this, but you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. Talking here of believers. You are a holy nation. This is the significance of the body of Christ. God's people. And then he says this. A people for God's own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into the marvelous light. His marvelous light. And I love what verse 10 says. Once you weren't a people. In fact... Paul in Ephesians calls us, guess what? It's kind of offensive, but he calls us aliens. (laughs) It's true. We're alienated from God. We're enemies of God as we've talked about God's rescue last week particularly. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we were not a people, but now guess what? But now you are God's people. We are God's new covenant people. Once you had not obtained mercy, but now... You have obtained mercy. Brothers and sisters in Jesus, this is God's new covenant people. So this comes from Peter. Let's look at what Paul says. Titus chapter 2. Paul to his, this, his son of the ministry, Titus, he says this, our great God and Savior Jesus Christ at the end of verse 13. Then he says this, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a what? Let's try that one more time. All right, lawlessness and to purify himself for himself a what? It's a people, a people for his own possession. These people are zealous of good works. So when we talk about the church, when we talk about God's community, brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, we are God's people. We are the church, let us never forget it. All right, so let's continue on now with this concept of what is the purpose of the New Covenant people? What is our purpose? This might get a little deeper, so hold on. And honestly, we're going to have to summarize some of these these points we make today. There'll be more discussion to come later. I just want to make a quick plug for our studies that we're going to have next fall, because next fall on Wednesday nights, we're going to have dinner, so food's involved, praise Jesus. Dinner and study. Dinner, prayer, and study. And we're going to meet down, down in the youth center and around the campus. We're going to start taking some of these concepts and developing them, studying more fully what they mean. So today is more of a survey of what we're talking about. What is our purpose? Our purpose is to glorify God. Okay, you, you're saying, okay, that's where does that come from? That comes directly from our second essential. To glorify God. The glory of God is the north star of everything we do. This is what we have to keep our eyes on. So what does it mean to glorify God? Do you remember this from a couple weeks ago? To glorify God is to put his majesty out in the open. It is to make his majesty and splendor known. To put his majesty on display. That is what we do. So the question I have is, well how? How? How am I going to? How are we going to put God's glory on display? At Cross Point Community Church, very basically, how are we going to do it? And here's three arguments, three points of how we're going to do it at Crosspoint Community Church. First of all, through preservation of truth. Second of all, through participation in worship, selfless worship, and third of all, through dedication to discipleship. So I put intentionally three words up there, truth, worship, and discipleship. These are what we were, what we were created to do, preserve the, church, the truth participate in selfless worship, and be dedicated to discipleship. Let's just unpack these a little bit, starting with this one, preservation of the truth. And and actually, I use the word preservation. There's other words that could be used, particularly this one, proclamation. When we're talking about preservation, we're talking about something that's supporting something else, something that holds it up with all they've got. What's the illustration that Paul uses here? 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, he's talking to his other son in the ministry, Timothy, and he says this, that you, Timothy, may know how you ought to behave in the household of God. This is God's place. You are God's people. And then here's how he describes this: which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. How does he describe the church? A pillar and foundation of the truth. buttresses foundation, pillar, are the framework that holds the building up. So what is he saying here? He's saying that the body of Christ takes God's truth and puts it on display unashamedly. Holds it up. Very, I like to think very practically. Very practically, what possibly could have been in Paul's mind as he was writing this. So he wrote this to his son of the ministry, named Timothy. At this time, very possibly, Timothy was a pastor in a place called Ephesus. In your Bibles, you'll see a book called Ephesians. We've talked of this. Timothy was a faithful pastor pouring his heart into a really problematic community, Ephesus. In fact, in Ephesus, there was an absolutely beautiful temple, in this temple, this temple to what's known as Artemis or Diana, there were 130 pillars, marble pillars at this time culturally in history. There was, there was a massive desire to build things with marble. They built this amazing structure, 130 pillars set on a super strong foundation This was the temple to Diana. These marble pillars, some say historically, culturally, back in this context, were (laughs) gold-plated. So when you come into Ephesus, when you're part of Paul talking to Timothy, what did Timothy see almost every day? He'd walk around Ephesus, and he'd look up over on this hill, and he would interact with gold-plated pillars, 130 of them, proclaiming the hope of a false god, Artemis, Diana. And what's Paul's challenge to Timothy? Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, guess what? The church of the living God is not a dead God like this Artemis, not providing false hope that the church of the living God is to hold up the truth, is to hold up the truth of God, unashamedly put truth on display. Just as the false God Artemis was putting on display all of who she was, Diana, and, and to be quite honest with you, it's kind of gross. When you, when you look at this goddess and see what she meant and symbolizes, it's actually kind of gross. But what Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, the church of the living God, it is the pillar that holds up the truth, that proclaims the truth. Okay, in our Bibles, especially in the New Testament, what is truth? Well, I think very clearly as you go through the Scriptures in John 17 what does Jesus say of truth? Sanctify them through thy word, Jesus says. Your word is truth. Brothers and sisters in Christ, guess what we hold high? We proclaim faithfully. We hold on to it as all, with all we have. We put on a pillar and put it out there for everyone to see. It's that book you're holding on your lap. It is the word of God. What else does the New Testament say about the truth? Jesus Christ himself, prior to going to the cross, in John 14 says, I am, to Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What do we hold up as a church, brothers and sisters in Jesus? We hold up Jesus Christ. Unashamedly, we hold up the fact that Jesus Christ changed our lives. He rescued our souls we hold up the word of god we hold up the person and work of jesus christ we hold up thirdly as you go through the scripture it is the gospel paul says this to the church of ephesus in verse 13 of chapter 1 and christ you also when you heard the word of truth and how does he qualify that the gospel the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So very simply, and we'll keep working through this, what do we hold up? What do we proclaim? We hold up the word. We hold up Jesus Christ. And we hold up the gospel, the good news, with everything we have. Which, by the way, is this appropriate for the culture we live in today? The culture around us is telling us that the truth that we hold on to so tightly is ridiculous. Just to say it. The truth that we hold on to, it's not worth it. In fact, Paul tells the church of Corinth, the people around you think of Jesus Christ and Him crucified as being foolish. But brothers and sisters, that's why we as a body of Christ hold it all with all we've got. In a postmodern culture that says, a relativistic culture that says, what's truth to you might not be truth to you, but that's okay, they can, they can coexist in relativism. You know what the, the scripture says? We are the pillar and ground of the truth. Jesus Christ presented in the word of God bringing us the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. We hold up the truth. We gotta keep moving or we'll be here till two. And we'll need to have food. <laughs> let's keep moving. So one of the primary reasons we're here, one of the primary reasons you're sitting here today, you're active in the body of Christ, is to hold up the truth with everything you've got. Here's another reason. We are to participate in selfless worship. We've already mentioned this through the service, so I just kind of want to touch on this. Selfless worship. What are we talking about? Extolling and exalting God above all else. Putting his splendor on display. It's not worship. We think about this and Grant said some really good words about worship this morning. Worship is not simply a formality. Worship is not a game. Worship is not a performance. It's not an exercise. Worship is not a manipulation for God to show up. If you sing the right way all these times God will show up to the church. That's not worship. Worship is is not a time when the musicians show up and all of a sudden at ten fifteen the band starts playing and the musician starts leading and all of a sudden check we did worship. That's not worship. It's part of worship, but that's not all that worship is. What is worship then? It is when God's people wholeheartedly, reverentially, and obediently adore God for all he is and what he has done all the time. It is expressed in actions and attitude. Do you realize when you come to to church on a Sunday morning, when you live with church people through the week and in our community, you are expressing worship in your attitude and actions. Worship is it driven is driven by a wholehearted love for God that magnifies God's worth. That is what worship it is, is magnifying God's worth. It is lifting high the glory and grace of God. Uh, one of my mentors says this: "It is all of who I am recognizing all of who He is. That is worship. Worship is a corporate, when I mean corporate, a group overflow of what God has been doing in our lives all week long. What do I mean? Personally, Monday morning, you are to worship God in the beauty of his holiness. All through the day on Monday, teens at work or at school or with friends or on sports teams, you worship God. We worship God with our families and our neighborhoods. You worship God with your attitudes and actions all day, every day. That is what worship is. When we come together then as a congregation, a body of Christ, guess what worship looks like as a body? It is an overflow of what God's been doing in our lives all week. From the time we pull onto the campus at Cross Point. guess what? Worship is seen in how we interact with the people around us. Worship is seen when you go to your spot that you normally park in and someone else is parking there. (laughs) Who do I worship? Am I worshiping God or am I worshiping me and my rights? Worship is seen when you enter into the church and the person that you know said something against you shows up first to greet you with that big smile. You want to knock that smile right off their face. (laughs) Worship is seen how we interact in the body of Christ. You know what worship is seen? Worship is seen by how you smile to people in the church and let them know how glad you're here how how glad you are that they're here worship is seen when we open the bibles and we study the word worship is seen when we open our mouths and proclaim the goodness of god in song even if it's not the song we wanted (laughs) even if it's not done exactly the way we wanted it We worship God in a heartbeat. Worship is seen as people pour out their hearts into the kids program, CPK. Worship is seen as people so skillfully run the music and the PowerPoint, the audio and the visual. Worship is what happens all over the place. Corporate worship is an overflow and I just wanna read these verses. Obviously, we're not gonna dig deep into these. But Acts 2 says a bit about worship. Acts 2 gives us a glimpse into the first New Covenant congregation at Jerusalem. And if you would just listen up, I'm just going to read some of these things, and then I will just highlight some of the, some of the ways that the New Testament church worshipped. I'm going to read in verse 42 of Acts 2. I just put it on there, and you can listen or follow along if you would like. But verse 42 says this, And they devoted themselves, um, some of your Translations will say they continued steadfastly. They were set on something. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to breaking of bread and prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Verse 44 And all who believed were together and had all things common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing them. Uh, the proceeds to all as any had need and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes they received their food with gladness and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number by the way just a quick time out did they add to their number the Lord added to their number They were faithful to obey God in worship, and God added to their number. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I'm just going to highlight some of these things they did. First of all, they studied together. It says they studied the apostles' doctrine. (laughs) They diligently studied the apostles' doctrine. Just a quick comment on this. The apostles' doctrine... I believe, came directly from the mouth of Jesus before he ascended. In Luke 24, we see that, just as we talked of last week, he pointed out where he was in the Old Testament scriptures. Here I am, prophesying of me. Here I am, and here I am, and here I am. He sat down, and he walked through this with the apostles. Now the apostles are simply sharing with it, and we see this at the day of Pentecost when Peter preaches. We see this as 3,000 souls are saved in that one day and baptized. This is the apostles doctrine. I'm going to tell you. You know what's so beautiful about worship is that worship is is tied into the study of doctrine. This is not a boring things that happens. This is not one of those things like, "Oh boy, we sang songs, we fellowship, we had our donuts, Amen Diane." <laughs> we had our donuts and coffee. Now it's like, "Ah, now we got to study the doctrine." No, this is exciting. Brothers and sisters, we're learning about Jesus. We come together, children, teens, young adults, adults, those of us who are older in our lives and much older in our lives. Maybe you're looking back at a very healthy life. Guess who's kept you going? It's Jesus. And we study about him. Every time we come together, our prayer is that it is consumed with the apostles' doctrine. The apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Fellowship is coming together on common grounds. Another word is relationship building. Fellowship is about building relationships. Uh, we had a great talk about that this week, about really praying through things we're doing. We're already praying through but planning things for the fall. Praying, planning things that, that directly influence relationship building in the body of Christ for all age groups. I'm excited about t- some of the things we have coming up this next fall. I hope you stay tuned to that, but here's another one. Acts two forty two. If you can go to the next one, that'd be great. Remembering together. When we come together, we remember things that happen, particularly we're talking about communion. Next week, we get to celebrate communion together. It is remembering what Jesus Christ did for us. In this particular passage, it could be taken in a formal sense of communion, the Lord's Supper, obeying what Jesus said. He said, do this until I return. Or it could also be taken in a much less formal situation where you're just eating around the table breaking bread. I think particularly, especially in verse 42, it's talking about a formal situation where they would stop and they would remember what God has done for them through Jesus Christ. This is called communion. Here's what else they did. If you'd go on to the next slide, that'd be great. They remembered together, they prayed together. They spent time approaching God's throne of grace together in prayer. This is my prayer, the elder's prayer, is that this would be a place of prayer. When we come together on Sunday mornings, we pray together. We talk to God passionately together. Any Bible study we have, any event that we have, it's not an uncommon thing to stop and for minutes, for sometimes hours, We pray together. It says they praised together. Acts 2.47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. We praise together. This is what we're talking about up here. This is what we're talking about when the tunes come on and we get to praise God with, with song. This flows directly out of the praise in the Old Testament, directly from the praise of the Psalms, and now it's part of the, the, the intrinsically part of what we do as a church is we sing songs of praise to God. By the way, what did Jesus do after communion with his disciples? He sung a hymn. Ephesians 5 says, We sing songs, hymns, spiritual songs together. We praise God together. Like I said, even if it's not our favorite song in the world, or the top four songs on our playlist that week, we learn to praise God, praise God together. Let's, um, let's go to one last thing we do together, as indicated in this passage, is we share together, we serve together. Nahad, uh, verse 47, 44 says, and all who believed were together and had all things common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. In other words, they voluntarily shared their personal possessions. This is not socialism. This is not communism. It was voluntary. It was according to need. Here's the simple point of what's happening here. The church was not selfishly attached to personal possessions. They were not consumed with what they had their stuff was handled with open arms with open palms looking for those in need in the soccer field we call it being field aware you don't just see what's happening five feet around you you know what's happening 55 yards away from you you see things happening all around the field setting up not just as what's happening immediately and here's what it ha- here's here's where it comes to application to the church we don't just see our particular needs in our particular bubble when we come to church. We're praying diligently from the time we enter onto the campus to the time we lead, that God, leave, that God would lead us to someone who has a need, someone that we, can, that we can see that need met and we can pray with them through their need. I praise God for people all, already in this congregation that have stepped up and helped my family with need since we've been here the last four or five months. This is what the body of Christ does. Let's go to one last aspect of this. Don't mean to fly through this, but I kind of do mean to fly through this. (laughs) The last part of the essential elements of what we do, this meaning, this purpose for our church is a word called discipleship. Discipleship in the scripture means to train a pupil. A teacher training a pupil. Um, I like to say it this way. What is discipleship in a very practical way? It is me pursuing Jesus and bringing someone with me. It is you pursuing Jesus and putting your arm around someone and saying, hey, come on with me. We're going to go worship Jesus together. That's what discipleship is in the scriptures. Where do we find this? Jesus, prior to going uh, to his ascension, he tells his disciples, all power is given to me, and I'm going to give you not a great suggestion, but a great commission. And at the heart of this commission, if you could go to the next slide, that'd be great. At the heart of the commission is what's in red right there. In our minds, sometimes we think of four commands in the Great Commission. There's actually one primary command that's highlighted in red, and the others are are known as participles pointing to that one command. What's the command of the commission? Go, therefore, and make disciples. So, what does discipleship include? Very quickly, as you'll see on your handout there, and we're not going to dig into all those passages it includes speaking the gospel. It includes talking with people about the good news. This is salvation. But it doesn't stop there, does it? If we continue on, gospel proclamation is part of discipleship, but in our minds sometimes we think, yep, I shared the gospel, done, check. That's like Not even the start. I mean, that's just barely getting into discipleship. Discipleship also includes some other very important elements, including public identification. We are calling people to come out of their shell and identify with Jesus Christ. What is the true call of a disciple? To walk with Jesus through thick and thin, to walk in Jesus for my entire life. I'm not just adding Jesus to my life, I am making Jesus my life. That is the call of a disciple. Public identification. I'm going to meet with maybe possibly a couple right after the service here. Some people that want to identify with Jesus. And in the New Testament, how do we start off with identification? It's with baptism. Baptism doesn't save us. But just like this wedding ring doesn't make me married, I can take it off and guess what? Well, maybe I can't take it off. <laughs> All right. If I were to take my ring off, doesn't mean I'm not married to my beautiful bride anymore. But I proudly wear it because I want everyone to know I'm married to my beautiful bride. What does salvation do? It publicly proclaims that I embrace Jesus Christ with my whole life. It's public identification that I love Jesus and I'm willing to follow him to the day I die. Let's keep working through this. Uh, How else do we disciple? It's through consistent sanctification. This is growth. I put down there 1 Peter 2 talks about us being built up as a body of Christ. It's growth. We're not here to sit our backsides in the chair and watch everything happen. We're here to grow in Jesus. Discipleship happens through steadfast instruction. This is leadership. I put up here, if you go to the next slide, that'd be great. I put up here Ephesians 4. And he gave some apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds teachers. That's what carries on is the shepherd teachers, the pastor teachers. Acts 20, 28 talks about this Ephesian model and this is the model we've embraced as a church. He's talking about elders plural, pastors plural, and church singular. That is what we embrace as our church and our polity. And what do the pastor teachers do? Equip the saints for the work of the ministry, de-edifying or the building up of the body of Christ. How does that happen? Verse 15. Speaking the truth in love. Brothers and sisters in Christ, discipleship includes listening and participating in instruction. Maybe I can just make a plug here. Love coming to church on Sundays. Love going to Bible studies through the week because you're receiving instruction how to grow in Christ. Teens, you're interacting with the scriptures when you study together. When Lane or Ridge or anyone else comes and talks to you about the scriptures, you're soaking it in because you're learning how to be equipped And how to grow. There's another aspect of it. It's accountability. Some would say this is kind of the dark side of discipleship. And I would say the accountability side of discipleship is one of the most loving things a body of Christ can do. When you talk about church discipline. This is not judgmentalism. This is not legalism. This is coming alongside of someone as Jesus says in Matthew 18. Coming along, someone that is purposely, intentionally rebelling against God and His Word and saying, we love you enough to try to pull you back into the body of Christ. If it doesn't happen, this is where church discipline happens. And I I can't say it enough that church discipline is actually one of the most, when done in a right way, is one of the most loving actions of the body of Christ. Because you are the whole purpose of Church Discipline in Galatians is to actually get them back to see how much they need the body of Christ. Let's keep working through this with this simple key idea. We talked a lot today about our purpose, our meaning. What were we created to do? In summary form, it is to hold high the truth. Jesus Christ, Him crucified, the gospel and the word. We hold it up as pillars We hold up the truth. We also are committed to selfless worship. It's not all about me, but it's coming together, praising God for who he is in everything we do as a church. Worship happens as those nursery workers are changing diapers. Worship happens as the janitor is cleaning up the bathrooms and as those working in the kitchen are preparing food. Worship happens as we come together and glean from the Word of God on Sunday mornings. Praise God for worship. And then, what are we called to do? We are called to disciple. The key idea this morning is, as God's church, we must function with biblical purpose in everything we do. We must fulfill the, the intended purpose for our lives, our church. And aspects of membership that we talked about in accountability in organization and advancement. So what? So what? Thank you, Pastor Andrew, for all those fine words you said. Maybe some of them not so fine. (laughs) But how is that going to make me any different when I walk out these doors? Well, can I ask you this question? Are we as a church, can we pray through this? Are we fulfilling our purpose? Are we committed to holding to the truth with every single thing we have every ounce of energy holding and proclaiming the truth? What about worship? Are we living whole life worship, and then when we come together, it's an overflow from worship that's happened all week? What about discipleship? Can I ask you this? Who are you coming alongside, putting your arm around, saying, I'm pursuing Jesus, would you come with me? Are we discipling those around us? Are we discipling dads? Are you discipling your kids? Teens, who are you discipling? Who are you coming along and saying, hey, let's pursue Jesus together? One last question. Will you be committed to your part in fulfilling the biblical purpose of Cross Point Community Church? You, you are part of the body of Christ. Whether you're the hand or the foot, whether you're the elbow or the knee, whether you're the nose or the ear, you're a part of this body. So what are you doing to fulfill your biblical purpose to hold the truth to worship and to disciple as God's church we must function with biblical purpose in everything we do and so God that is our prayer that we would recognize the intended reason you created us as a church you established us as a church and that we would fulfill that intended reason that purpose we would live out our purpose